Pain is interesting. I dislike it immensely, but I've never experienced pain and boredom at the same time. Even when I had unending and severe pain in my lower back for several years, I was never bored by the pain, though it exhausted me. Hello and welcome to episode 224 of Under the Cowl of MS. Uh, just a little saying by Augustine Burroughs, I guess. Um, we're going to be talking about some different pains and some other issues in here. We're going to talk about a variety of things because this is another MS multiple sclerosis health segment where it's just a variety of different things that we're going to talk about today. And hopefully there'll be something that can catch your ear or help you out. We'll be talking about things with like stretches for back pain, itchy scalp remedies, muscular dystrophy versus multiple sclerosis, treating UTIs, boosting your metabolism, and some herbal herbal remedies that you can try out if you you want. But we'll get back to you right after this with a variety of little MSL segments. All right, time for another MS health segment. Let's talk about some stretches that can help you relieve some back pain. Because back pain can be a major pain in the back. And sciatica usually likes to affect that lower left or right side of our backs. I know my sciatica thrives and lives in my lower right side. But I will get it in the left side once in a while, but more than usually it's the right side for me. That's the more extreme side. And it's never lost its it's a fact it's always there reminding me. And then I also got like a weird burning sensation I get once in a while that's I think is because when I had that three month boat with sciatic and I couldn't do nothing but lay at a weird ass angle. I was doing the ice and heat therapy, ice like ice fifteen, heat fifteen, ice fifteen, hip heat fifteen to try and uh relieve it. All the issue issues along with it and I now have this burning sensation like I'm guessing like a frostbite feeling, a freezer burn type thing that I probably caused by using too much ice. And I know there were times where I fell asleep while using it. So, so yeah, be careful with that when you're icing and heating your stuff. stuff but uh, lower back pain is an incredibly common condition that can be relieved or prevented with regular exercise and stretching. So some simple ones you can do with knee to, knee to chest. This one can help lengthen your lower back, relieving tension and pain uh, to, to perform it. Basically, lie on your back with your knees bent and your feet flat flat on the floor. Using both hands, grab hold of your right lower leg and interlace your fingers or clasp your wrist just under the knee. While, while keeping your left foot flat on the floor, gently pull your right knee up to your chest until you feel a slight stretch in your lower back. Hold your right knee against your chest for 30 to 60 seconds making sure to relax your legs, hips, and lower back. Release your right knee and return to the starting position. Repeat steps two to four with your left leg. Repeat three times for each leg. And then to make it a little more difficult, you can simultaneously bring both your knees to your chest for 15 to 20 seconds. Do this three times separated by 30 seconds of rest and i'm just giving you their suggestions of amounts of times to do it i suggest doing whatever you can however you can without straining yourself and pulling a muscle and hurting yourself 
but just take that into consideration and work around your body, listen to your body, and then eventually maybe you'll build up to where you want to be and be kicking off. Going at it, no problems down the road, hopefully. Perform the knee to chest stretch by lying on your back and pulling it, pulling and then holding one or both knees to your chest. That's basically what you're doing. Then there's trunk rotation stretch, which can help relieve tension in your lower back. It also works your core muscles, including your abdominals, back muscles, and the muscles around your pelvis and kind of helps to loosen things up. To perform it, I cannot say perform today. Uh, lie on your back and bring your knees up towards your chest so your body is positioned as if you're sitting in a chair. Fully extend your arms out to your sides with your palms face down on the floor, keeping your knees together and hands on the floor. Gently roll both bent knees over to your right side and hold for 15 to 20 seconds. Then return to the starting position and repeat step three on your left side, again holding for 15 to 20 seconds. Then just repeat this five to 10 times on each side. Basically, you're performing the trunk rotation stretch by keeping your knees together up towards your chest, gently rolling your knees to each side and holding the position. And then we have the cat-cow stretch. This one is a useful exercise to help increase flexibility and ease tension in your lower back and core muscles. It's a good kind of like release type stretch. Perform the cat-cow stretch. Get onto your hands and knees with your knees hip-width hip apart. This is the st starting position. Arch your back by pulling your belly button up towards your spine, letting your head drop forward. This is the cat portion of the stretch. Hold that for 5 to 10 seconds. You should feel a gentle stretch in your lower back. Turn to the starting position. And then raise your head up and let your pelvic pelvis fall forward, curving your back down towards the floor. This is the cow portion of the stretch. Hold for 5 to 10 seconds. Then return to your starting position and repeat the cat-cow stretch 15 to 20 times or whatever you can do. You can also perform this in a chair with your feet flat on the floor and your hands on your knees making it perfect for sneaking in a few stretches at work. Basically, performing perform the cat-cow stretch, stretch by arching your back for the cat pose, then letting your pelvis fall forward for the cow pose. And then we got the pelvic tilt. Let's do the pelvic tilt. Uh, the pelvic tilt exercise is a simple yet effective way to release tight back muscles and maintain their flexibility. Or to perform it, I'm just going to start saying to do it. <laughs> that word is 0 for 3 now. Lie on your back with your knees bent, feet flat, and arms by your sides. The natural curvature of your spine will lift your lower back slightly off the floor. Gently arch your lower back and push your stomach out, stabilizing the core. Hold this for 5 to 10 seconds, then relax. Push your pelvis slightly up towards the ceiling. Your pelvis should not leave the floor while tightening your abdominal and buttocks muscles. Muscles. In doing so, you should feel your lower back pressing to the floor. Hold this for 5 to 10 seconds, then relax. Start with 10 to 15 repetitions or whatever you can do daily and build it up to 25 to 30. Basically, you're flattening your stomach against the floor by tightening your abdo abdominal muscles and tilting your pelvis towards the ceiling. Uh, it's not too hard. And it feels good. All these stretches are just great for loosening up the muscles. Let's try a seat forward bend. Tight, 
Tight hamstrings, the muscles located at the back of your thighs, are thought to be a common contributor to lower back pain and injuries. The seat forward bend stretches those hamstring muscles to relieve tightness and release tension in your spine. To perform this, hey, I said it. <laughs> Forgot to say to do. But actually worked out. <laughs> Sit on the floor with your legs straight out in front of you. Hook a standard bath towel around the bottoms of your feet and heels. Gently bend forward at your hips, bringing your belly down to your thighs. Keeping your back straight, grab the towel to help you bring your belly closer to your legs. Stretch until you feel mild tension in the back of your legs and lower back. Hold this for 30 seconds and then rest for 30 seconds. and Repeat it three times. You can increase or decrease the tension of this stretch by grabbing the towel closer or farther from your feet. As you become more flexible over time, you can increase how long you hold the stretch or reduce the time between stretches. While seated on the floor with your legs extended, hook a towel around the bottom of your heels and use it to pull yourself forward and stretch your hamstring and lower back muscles. Basically what you're doing. Now when we got we had the flexion rotation, the flexion rotation exercise helps stretch your lower back and buttocks. <laughs> to perform the flexion rotation exercise, hey, I'm getting this perform shit down. Yeah, <laughs> not even paying attention that I'm doing it right. If I keep talking about it, I'm gonna start screwing up again. Lie on your right side with both legs straight. Bend your left leg. Hooking your foot behind your right knee. Grasp your left knee with your right arm. Place your left hand behind your neck. Slowly rotate your upper body backwards by touching your, your left shoulder blade to the floor. Feel, feel a mild stretch in your lower back. Eat the rotation stretch 10 times holding each stretch for one to three seconds before slowly moving out of the rotation. Repeat steps one to six on your left side. Basically repeat all the steps <laughs> on your left side. Basically with your leg bent and foot hooked around your other knee, slowly rotate your upper body backwards by touching your shoulder blade to the floor until you feel a mild stretch in your lower back. And definitely don't overstretch any of these muscles because then you might end up with back pain. You don't want that. <clears throat> we have the supported, excuse me, the supported bridge. Use a foam roller or firm cushion to perform the supported bridge. It helps decompress your lower back through supported elevation. And maybe a good stiff pillow might help. But to perform it. Lie on your back with your knees bent and feet flat on the floor. Lift your hips and place a foam roller or firm cushion underneath them. Completely relax your body into the support of the floor and the foam roller or firm cushion. Hold this for 30 to 60 seconds and repeat three to five times, resting 30 to 60 seconds between sets. You can increase the stretch in your lower back by extending one or both legs from their bent position if you would like to increase it. Basically, after positioning a foam roller or pillow underneath your hips, relax your entire body. And then we got one final one, the belly flops. Similar to the supported bridge exercise, the belly flop exercise uses a rolled towel to decompress your lower back through supported elevation. Form it. Roll up a towel or blanket lengthwise and place it horizontally in front of you. Lie front side down over the towel or blanket so that your hip bones are press, pressing into it. Completely relax your body 
You can turn your head to either side. Stay in this position for one to two minutes and repeat one to three times, resting 30 to 60 seconds between sets. Basically lie front side down on a rolled up towel or blanket that's positioned under your hip bones and relax your entire body. And these are my kind of exercises. <laughs> Lower back pain is a painful condition that affects many people. Regular physical activity and stretching are proven ways to help reduce lower back pain and prevent it from return. The trunk rotation, pelvic tilt, and supported bridge are just a few exercises that will help soothe lingering lower back pain. So try them out, keep the monster at bay, keep them off your back, and we'll get back to you with more stuff soon. <laughs> All right, let's get to another MS Health segment. Today, let's talk about itchy scalp. Home remedies that we can use on this because I get it and I believe it's a side effect from medications. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time to me. It'll happen certain parts of the year or whatever. And I'll just, I'll get it so bad where I'll get it scabby and stuff from scratching at it. And I know that with this Mavenclad medication that I'm starting, that they, uh, there are some people that have a lot of dry, itchy scalp issues with it. So I was, I thought this was a good thing to look into. And basically, it's also known as scalp paritis, known as itchy scalp, is a common condition. There's a wide range of causes dandruff, and an inflammatory skin condition called seborrheic dermatitis are the most common causes of itchy scalp. Seborrheic dermatitis can be the result of stress, seasonal changes, fluctuating hormones, or an overgrowth of yeast on the skin. Dandruff can be caused by scalps. It's too dry, oily hair, and a variety of skin conditions. Other causes of itchy scalp can include autoimmune disorders such as psoriasis, fungal infections such as tinea capitis or ringworm, allergic reaction to a product such as hair dye, eczema, atopic dermatitis, head lice, stress or anxiety, diabetes, and herpes zoster or shingles, which herpes zoster is a thing brought up with the maven cloud also. So I'm kind of curious if those people were dealing with that type of issue. But now I know to mention that to them. Some causes of itchy scalp require medical treatment. So check with your doctor. If your symptoms last longer than a week, include pain, sores, or swelling, include itching so intense it interferes with your ability to sleep or function, There's a, there are multiple home remedies which may be effective for itchy scalp that don't require medical treatment. Those are the things we're going to talk about here, but definitely talk to your doctor because it could be a Side effect of some medication or some other serious issue, so check into that. I use basically once when I do start to get it, I'll use uh, head and shoulders dry scalp shampoo uh, for three to five days, and it'll ease it up somewhat, but then. It usually comes back right away. So should stay on it regularly. I just hate using those burning scalp shampoo type things over long periods of time because if they're causing those sensations, they're probably doing other damage effects too. But they do help somewhat. Uh, apple cider vinegar has antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and antifungal properties. It can help reduce itching caused by dry skin. Try diluting it, apple cider vinegar, in warm water and using it as a rinse after shampooing to alleviate dandruff. 
and an itchy scalp, which is good to know. I'm going to definitely try that one next time. It's been a while since I had the issues, thankfully, but now that I'm starting another new medication, that's probably why I've been off my medications for a while, so certain ones. Organic coconut oil, which I'm using the MCT oil now. I'm drinking it. It is a natural extracted, naturally extracted from mature coconuts. It contains lauric acid, a saturated fat that has antimicrobial properties. Lauric acid helps the skin absorb coconut oil effectively or efficiently. This makes it a soothing treatment for itchy scalp. Coconut oil may be helpful for itchy scalps caused by eczema. It may also be helpful for combating head lice. Never heard of that being used on it. It's uh, something to try if you have kids with lice in school or something like that. Uh, Peppermint oil may be effective at reducing dandruff and soothing the scalp. Calming down, down itch. Try diluting it with another oil such as olive oil and massaging it. Or just dilute it with your coconut oil when you're using coconut oil on it. Put a little peppermint oil in there. Put a little apple cider vinegar. Rub it all in. Who knows? That might explode. <laughs> but do that. Dilute it. And massage it into the scalp before shampooing. You can also use peppermint tea as a rinse after shampooing. They like doing that a lot with the teas, the peppermint teas, the green teas, Euchanasia teas and stuff. They'll sit there and use them externally in a cold form. So, And peppermint's great uh, odorize, odor, odorize, odor-wise, like aromatherapy and stuff for helping out with things too. Meditation, it may not surprise you that activities which reduce stress, such as meditation, may be effective at eliminating itchy scalps caused by anxiety. It may also help with itching due to eczema. Uh, Its effects on eczema indicated that the perception of itching may be improved by this age-old process by providing a coping mechanism and sense of control. Meditation can be tried alone or in conjunction conjunction with other itchy scalp remedies. If you're new to meditation, try taking a class or listening to a meditation app or podcast. I've done a little, some simple little meditation walkthroughs on here. Tea tree oil is an Essential oil available at health food stores. Tea tree oil has antimicrobial, antifungal, and antiseptic properties. It also has anti-inflammatory effects. Tea tree oil can be irritating to the skin, so it's important to use it sparingly or dilute it prior to use. Try adding 10 to 20 drops of tea tree oil to a gentle shampoo or Mix it with olive oil and massage it directly into your scalp. Tea tree oil can help reduce or eliminate itching associated with dandruff, seborrheic dermatitis, and head lice. Tea tree oil should never be ingested. So keep your mouth shut when you're rinsing it out. (laughs) Zinc pyrithione shampoo. Uh... People with dandruff and seborrheic dermatitis have more than double the amount of histamine on their head skin than those without it, itchy scalps. Study, a study analyzed the effects of shampoos contain zinc pyrithione on histamine levels. Participants with scalp itch who used it had significant reduction in histamine levels and in itch intensity. Uh, these types of shampoos are readily available in drugstores and in other retail outlets. Just look for that on the ingredients and see what you can find. I'm not sure if that's what's in my head and so- shoulder stuff. 
shampoos contain salicylic acid are effective at treating itchy scalp caused by psoriasis and seborrheic dermatitis. I do not know how to say that first word. Salicylic acid is a beta-hydroxy acid found in evergreen leaves and white willow tree bark. So just go out in your woods, grab some trees, and start rubbing on them. <laughs> no, don't do that. You might get a splinter. It has anti-inflammatory and antibacterial properties. It also, it's also able to generate ex, generate exfoliation of the skin, which may make it particularly effective for the scaly, itchy patches associated with psoriasis. Shampoos containing this ingredient may vary by strength, so make sure to read the labels and follow the usage instructions. Some salicylic acid shampoos require light massage into the scalp during use. And every time I use any type of scalp shampoo, I just scrub that in first off and just let it sit in my hair while I do the rest of my bathing and then wash it out in the end, give it some time to sit. And some I, I've tried in the past too, you actually had to put in pre-shower and just let it sit for like a half hour or whatever 15 minutes and then go wash it out but ketoconazole is a broad spectrum antifungal agent effective at reducing malassezia yeast this is a fungus which may become overabundant on the scalp and cause malassezia or scalp psoriasis, available by prescription and also as an ingredient in certain shampoos. And those shampoos may reduce dandruff, scaly patches, and the itch caused by seborrheic dermatitis. I'd say these words. Shampoos may have, yeah, just look into the ingredients and see how much is in there but don't use it on open sores or on swollen skin selenium sulfide is an anti-infective medication this is used to treat seborrheic dermatitis it works by slowing down the growth of yeast on the scalp it's available as a shampoo and a lotion it may be Prescribed by your doctor or found in commercially prepared products. See what you can find out there. Basically, if your symptoms don't subside or if they get worse, talk to your doctor about medical treatments. They may be more effective. Essential oils and active ingredients in shampoos may irritate swollen or broken skin. Don't use any ingredients you have. Unknown allergy to and don't treat children with any product until you had a pe pediatrician's go ahead on it. Scalp itch is a common complaint with multiple causes. It can often be treated at home, but sometimes requires medical treatment. If your symptoms don't dissipate easily or within a few weeks, talk to your doctor about the underlying cause of itchy scalp and how best to treat it. I don't know if I'd want to wait a few weeks if I have a place or so, yeah, that's it for today. Be good to yourself. Be good to everybody else. Put the monster away, and we'll get back to you soon. Yeah, let's get into another MS health segment. Today, let's talk about differences between muscular dystrophy and multiple sclerosis. Muscular dystrophy is a group of MD is a group of genetic disorders that gradually weakens and damages the muscles. Multiple sclerosis, MS, is an immune-mediated disorder of the central nervous system that disrupts communication between the brain and body and within the brain itself. Although MD and MS may look similar, 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 <laughs> On the surface, the two disorders are very different. MD affects the muscles. MS affects the central nervous system, brain and the spinal cord. 
MD is caused by a defective gene involved with making proteins that protect muscle fibers from damage. MS causes unknown. Doctors consider it an autoimmune disease in which the body's immune system destroys myelin. This is a fatty substance that protects brain and spinal cord nerve fibers. MD is a cover term for a group of diseases, including Duchenne muscular dystrophy, Becker muscular dystrophy, Steinhardt's Steinert's disease, myotonic dystopia, dystrophy, myotonic dystrophy. Uh, Got to make these things so complicated. Ophthalmoplegic muscular dystrophy, limb girdle muscu- muscular dystrophy, fascio humeral muscular dystrophy, congenital mus- muscular dystrophy, and distal or distal muscular dystrophy. Oh, I'm saying a lot of those wrong. Then MS is a single disease with four types: clinically isolated syndrome (CIS), relapse and remitting MS (RRMS), secondary progressive MS (SPMS), and primary progressive MS (PPMS). MD has different forms of MD, which weaken different muscle groups that can affect breathing, swallowing, standing, walking, the heart, joints, facial, spine, and other muscles, and thus body functions. The effects of MS are different for everyone, but common symptoms include Issues with vision, memory, hearing, speaking, breathing, swallowing, balance, muscle control, bladder control, sexual function, and other basic body functions. MD can be life-threatening. MS isn't fatal. Symptoms of the most common type of Duchenne start in childhood. Other types can surface at any age from infant to adult with with, with MD. With MS, according to the National MS Society, the average age of clinical onset is 30 to 33 years old, and the average age of diagnosis is 37. MD is a progressive disorder that gradually worsens. With MS, there can be periods of remission. MD has no known, no known cure, but treatment can manage symptoms and slow progression. MS has no known cure, but treatment can relieve symptoms and slow progression. Basically, due to the similarity of some of these symptoms, people might confuse muscular dystrophy, MD, with multiple sclerosis, MS. The two diseases, however, are very different from how they affect the body. MD affects the muscles. MS affects the central nervous system. While MD is life-threatening, MS is not. At this point in time, there's no known cure for either condition, but treatment can help manage symptoms and slow disease progression. Many diseases have many similarities. But we all have to deal with all our own wonderful outcomes that come along with whatever we have to work with. That's it today. Quick little one. Just talking about some things comparison-wise. And we will get back to you more goodies soon. Be good to yourself. Be good to everybody else. And put the monster in a box. And down the stairs. Talk to you later. All right, time for another MS Health segment. Let's talk about some treatments you can do for UTIs, 
urinary, urinary tract infections without antibiotics. Basically, a urinary tract infection can knock you off your feet. They suck. <laughs> they hurt. Uh, they can... They occur when bacteria enters the urinary tract and multiplies. It affects one or more areas within the urinary tract. This can include the urethra, the bladder, the ureters, the kidneys. They can cause painful and frequent urination, lower abdominal abdominal pain, bloody urine. These, in, these infections are responsible for Quite a few doctor visits a year. Uh, they're the second most common type of infection to occur in the human body. They occur more often in women, but can affect men too. Women have a shorter urethra, so it's easier for bacteria to enter the bladder. Urinary tract infections in men are often related to an enlarged prostate, benign prostate, hypertrophia. Blocking the flow of urine, this allows bacteria to have an easier time occupying the urinary tract. Uh, 40 to 60% of women will have at least one UTI in their lifetime. Uh, in most cases, the bacterium Escherichia coli is the cause of the UTI, E. coli is normally found inside the intestines. When confined to the intestines, it's harmless, but sometimes it, it gets into the urinary tract and causes an infection. X may trigger a UTI in women. This is because intercourse can move bacteria from the anal areas to, to near the opening of the urethra. Women can lower their risk of infection by cleaning the genital genital area before any sexual activity and by urinary urinating afterward sorry my speech is this going downhill uh using spermicides diaphragms and condoms also raises the risk of a uti the risk is higher in people with a weakened immune system as well but yeah utis are the second most Common type of infection, E. coli, is the cause of most UTIs, but viruses and other germs can also cause them. Antibiotics sometimes don't work when certain antibiotics are prescribed repeatedly. The bacteria they target can grow resistant to them. So, and then you might have to go on a different antibiotic and. I've dealt with that before or I went on one that I was on before and helped and then it didn't help the next time. I had to try a different one. But basically, you want to drink a lot of water stuff like that to help flush your system out. And typically, the urinary tract flushes away bacteria when you urinate, but holy I Uh, FIMH can cause E. coli to firmly attach to the cells in the urinary tract, and because of its thick grip, it's hard for the body to naturally flush the bacteria, bacteria from the urinary tracts. It's good to flush it as much as possible. Demanos is a sugar that sticks to E. coli that they've learned and some one small study showed positive results when attempting to prevent recurrent UTIs with this with D-mannose and other mannose containing substances to block the binding of the FIM the FIMH to the lining of the urinary tract uh, let's just look into some remedies for it. You can try cranberries. They may contain ingredient that stops bacteria from attaching to the walls of the urinary tract. But you might be able to reduce your risk of UTIs with unsweetened cranberry juice, cranberry supplements, or dried cranberries.
drinking plenty of water, although urinating can be painful when you have a UTI, it's important to drink as many fluids as possible, particularly water. The more you drink, the more you'll urinate. Urinating helps flush the harmful bacteria from the urinary tract. Holding your urine or ignoring the urge to urinate can allow bacteria to multiply in your urinary tract. As a rule of thumb, always use the bathroom when you feel the urge. You gotta go, you gotta go. Probiotics promote healthy and healthy digestion and immunity. They also may be effective in treating and preventing UTIs. With a UTI, bad bacteria replace good bacteria in the vagina, especially those of one group called lactobacillus. Probiotics can restore good bacteria and might reduce recurrence of the UTIs. Increasing your intake of vitamin C may help prevent a UTI. Vitamin C strengthens the immune system and may help acidify the urine to prevent infection. Basically, UTIs are painful, but with treatment, you can overcome an infection and prevent recurrent infections. Talk to your doctor if you have symptoms of a UTI. With proper treatment, you should begin to feel better in a few days. Take your antibiotics as instructed, even after your symptoms improve, to prevent complications or a secondary infection. UTI doesn't resolve after antibiotic treatment or you end up with multiple episodes of a UTI, your doctor will likely do further testing. This could be in the form of a repeat urine culture, urinary tract ultrasound, a plain film x-ray, a CT scan, a cystoscopy, or a urodynamic testing. You may be referred to a urologist depending on the severity of your UTI or if you have chronic infections. Certain strains of bacteria can cause UTIs. They can range from mild to severe. The degree of severity depends on multiple factors, including one's immune system status, the bacterium causing the UTI, and where in your urinary tract the UTI is happening. It's also possible to have bacterial colonization in the urinary tract that's not causing you to have a UTI. Your doctor will be able to provide you with an evaluation tailored to your needs in order to make the right diagnosis and determine the proper therapy. But yeah, don't don't sit there and have the UTI pain and be like, okay, I can fix this all by myself and start dealing, chugging cranberries and all that stuff and not talking to your doctor and then waiting to talk to your doctor until you're in so much pain you can't stand it anymore. So definitely get a hold of your PP or whoever and talk to them if you have issues. But be good to yourself, be good to everybody else. Monster in a box and flush them down the toilet. And we will talk to you again soon. Let's get to a MS health segment. Let's talk about some ways that you can boost your metabolism. At least some ways that science thinks that you can. Metabolism is a term that describes all the chemical reactions in your body. These reactions keep your body alive and functioning. However, the word metabolism is often used interchangeably with metabolic rate or the number of calories you burn. The higher it is, the more calories you burn, and the easier it is to lose weight and keep it up. Having a high metabolism can also give you energy and make you feel better. Here's some ways you can try and increase your metabolism. Eat plenty of protein at every meal. Eating food can increase your metabolism for a few hours. This is called thermic effect of food, TEF, caused by the extra calories required to digest, absorb, and process the nutrients in your meal. Basically, eating more protein can boost your metabolism so that you burn more calories, and it can also help you eat less. 
water can help you lose weight and keep it off. It increases your metabolism and helps fill you up before meals. But studies have shown that drinking cold water can help because your body has to burn calories to get that water to your body's temperature. So that's a thing to consider instead of drinking this room temperature water always throw some ice in there or heated water your body has to burn calories to cool it down to your body's temperature also uh, high intensity in interval training and in, involves quick and very intense burst of activities uh, it can help burn, help you burn more fat by increasing your metabolic rate even after your workout has finished, but take into consideration if you have MS and doing high-intensity workouts may cause more problems, so listen to your body and work around that. But mixing up your exercise routine and adding in a few high-intensity workouts can boost your metabolism and help you burn fat. It's always good to change up your exercise routine anyways change things up otherwise you'll plateau and just body will be so used to it it'll be like having a job and it won't consider it exercise after a certain point in my opinion lifting weights is important for building and retaining muscle higher amounts of muscle re will result in a higher metabolism and you can find great ways to incorporate weights into your workout online Sitting for a long time burns few calories and is bad for your health. Try to stand up regularly or invest in a standing desk. Which hopefully someday I can get someone, a standing desk company to sponsor me. Drinking green tea or oolong tea may increase your metabolism. These teas may also help you lose weight and keep it off. Green tea has lots of other benefits. And for you also so eating spicy food could be beneficial for boosting your metabolism and help you maintain a healthy weight spicy food if you can handle it does has lots of beneficial things to it and great for if you're working with weight loss lack of sleep can decrease the number of calories you burn change the way you Process sugar and disrupt your appetite-regulating hormones. So get a good night's sleep. Shut those blue lights off an hour before bedtime so your brain isn't constantly active when you're trying to fall asleep. Drinking coffee can significantly increase your metabolism and help you lose weight. Just don't overdo it. Keep to a few cups or less. And you don't need to add all that sugary shit to it keep them black replacing other cooking fats with coconut oil may help boost your metabolism slightly coconut oil is so easy and simple and good to cook with and i started doing the mct oil and i'm enjoying that so making small lifestyle changes and incorporating these tips into your routine can increase your metabolism. Having a higher metabolism can help you lose weight and keep it off, while also giving you more energy. So take those things into consideration, try some out, and see if it helps you at all. And we will get back to you with more information sometime soon. Be good. Be good to everybody. And get that monster out of your life. All right. MS health segment time. Let's find out where the herbs at. Got the herb. Let's talk about some herbal remedies. See if you've heard of any of these. What about calendula? Calendula officinalis. 
Kalenya is also known as pot marigold. It's a centuries-old antifungal, antiseptic, wound-healing ally. Petals of these cheerful yellow and orange daisy-like flowers lend skin-soothing properties to many natural cosmetics and diaper creams. Calendula is a freely receding annual that blooms all season long. It makes a lovely addition to your garden with full sun. Harvest the petals fresh. You can also dry entire blooms, which close in the evening before they form seeds. And then you got them for the future. And then something you may have used in salsa or whatever, or cooking. Yet cilantro. Coriandrum sativum. Cilantro boasts a unique flavor that people either love or hate. And I am one that hates it. (laughs) But I try and use it because I know of its benefits. But yes, I hate the taste of cilantro. I... Every time I made salsas, I always left it out. But the leaves often garnish Mexican and Thai dishes. The seeds known as coriander are a prime ingredient in Indian curries. Ugh. They're also nasty. And I tried. I wanted to like them, but did not. <laughs> no thanks. Few think of this plant as a medicinal herb, but research shows it's a powerful digestive aid and may be capable of removing heavy metals and other toxic agents from the body. Cilantro go, grows best in a cool, moist garden and will quickly bolt in hot weather. Look for slow bolt varieties from seed companies. So that way you are not don't have so much you can't find a way to use it all. And at least it's nice because you can just plant like a couple plants and be good with it. A lot of these, you can make a really nice looking garden with just a few plant, plant, few of each of, of most of these plants, and they would grow very quickly to the point that you would have too much to, more than you could use, and you'd have to get into drying some and canning stuff. Lemon balm, Melissa officinalis. The oils, tannis, and bitters in the fragrant leaves and flowers of lemon balm have a relaxing antispasmodic effect on the stomach and nervous system. It may help fight off viruses such as herpes simplex when used topically. Lemon balm is tasty and gentle enough for children when prepared in teas or tinctures with a glycerin base. This calming and uplifting perennial makes a pretty patch a bright green in the garden and is a great plant to grow fresh. The dried herb loses some potency after six months. So try, you can also try lemon balm and peppermint infusion. And there, look, there are recipes that you may find online for that. That's a good combination. And speaking of peppermint, peppermint, menta, X piperita. Spearmint and peppermint are familiar flavors in toothpaste and chewing gum. Both pack a powerfully refreshing zing, but then uh, but reports have been out that peppermint provides stronger medicine than its more culinary cousin. When brewed as a tea, peppermint may relieve digestive discomfort such as indigestion and vomiting. It can also soothe sore muscles when applied topically as a liquid or a lotion. All mints spread rampantly in a moist garden. Consider growing each plant in its own large pot. Harvest the leaves just before flowering any longer and they'll begin to taste bitter. And all mints are good, just regular mint. They all have benefits for you. Rosemary. Rosemarinus officinalis. Rosemary is the great reviver. The perennial woody herb stimulates energy and optimism and sharpens memory and concentration, bringing more oxygen to your brain. 
It's a wonderfully stimulating alternative to caffeine when you need that second wind. A row of these long-lived and drought-tolerant plants makes a beautiful, bee-friendly, evergreen hedge. You may only need one plant in your garden. A little goes a long way. It smells so damn good. I love using rosemary when I'm roasting any type of meats. I'll cut holes in them and stuff rosemary, fresh rosemary right into there. If you crush it up with a pestle, pestle and mortar, and grind it in, and add it to a little olive oil, and then just stuff it in there. I, I like to mix that with some few other good herbs and some garlic and sea salt and then just press it right in and some black pepper and press it all right into the meat it's just it's awesome that way especially in pork it goes really good with pork um uh, which is verbascum thapsis thapsis mulian mulian's soothing properties may heal Bronchial respiratory infection. The thing I got to worry about with my new medication. Leafs are commonly added to cough formulas. Give this handsome and stately biennial plenty of space and stand back in wonder. The sturdy yellow flowered stem will emerge from within a rosette of thick, airy leaves reaching skyward nearly six feet. Yeah, I've seen these fuzzy little leaves. They're they're pretty cool looking, but I also thought they're useless. <laughs> so we cut them out. Thyme, which I like adding with my rosemary. Thymus vulgaris. This ground covers delicate stems and tiny leaves. Believe the tremendous power attributed to it by Europeans in the Middle Ages. Many believed in the herb's ability to heighten bravery and ward off nightmares. <laughs> A lot of people went to war thinking that they, this herb was going to protect them. <laughs> Modern herbalists rely on the antibacterial and antiseptic properties of thyme's oils to prevent winter colds and flu. Many cultivars exist beyond the straight species, including sweet-tasting citrus varieties that are perfect tummy remedies for children. Hmm, I want to try some of those. Lavender, another awesome-smelling herb. Lavangula, long recognized for its sweet perfume, lavender also boasts medical benefits as a mild antidepressant that may also benefit your nervous system. According to some studies, add lavender oil to your bath to alleviate stress, tension, and insomnia. It also used it's also used in creams to treat sunburns and acne. Woody lavender plants prefer hot, sunny, and dry environments. Fresh flowers are tasty in small doses when added to salads, honey, and butter. I love lavender honey. But lemonade and even shortbread cookies. Ooh, I want some lavender shortbread cookies. If you're crafty, try sewing up an herbal heating pad or eye pillow with the fragrant dried leaves. Great for nap time. Then German chamomile. Matricaria. Recutita, recutita. Delicate apple scented chamomile demonstrates that mild doesn't mean ineffective. It's primarily grown for its small yellow bellied flowers. The NCCIH reports that chamomile is one of the best herbs for treating colic, nervous stress, infections, and stomach disorders in children. In fact, it was chamomile tea that Peter Rabbit's mother fixed for him after his stressful chase in Mr. McGregor's garden. <laughs> uh, yeah. But basically, 
these easy to grow herbs bring healthy benefits to your garden as well as your family and lots of good smells. Many attract beneficial insects, including bees. We don't have the bees. We don't have food. We don't have life. They can also help repel harmful pests from more sensitive plants nearby. Be sure to choose plants that suit the, the light, water, and temperature conditions of your garden. For example, rosemary, lavender, and mullein are best for warm, dry spots and full sun. Cilantro and mint prefer rich, moist areas with shade. So make sure you got them in those right environments. But yeah, herbal remedies are awesome. It's nice to have them at right at your hands, able to get to, and a lot of things you can grow right in pots inside the house too. So try some things out. Hope you enjoy them. And hope you take care of yourself. Hope you take care of everybody else. And you take care of that monster and make sure he doesn't get in your way. And we'll talk to you again soon.